It's the Persistent and Nasty Podcast at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe 2023 series. The episodes will be released at various different times, so make sure that you have subscribed so you get notified when a new episode has dropped. We have some amazing guests coming up for you and I know that you won't want to miss them. They will be everything from circus performers to theatre makers to singers to spoken word poets and we can't wait to share all of them with you. Remember, if you are taking part in the Edinburgh Festival Fringe or you are just going for a visit, remember your rain jacket, your comfy shoes and a pair of shorts because you never know the weather that you're going to get in Edinburgh. But what you are guaranteed is some incredible pieces of theatre. Enjoy the episode and remember... Stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast Edinburgh Festival Fringe Series 2023. I hope that you are doing well, looking after yourself, being kind to yourself and each other. Today Louise and I, well I say I but I unfortunately was only able to join this incredible chat for the opening five minutes because I was having to work but we chat with the amazing Cora Bissett. Um, We have been wanting to chat to Cora for oh since we started the podcast. Um, We are both huge fans of Cora and Cora's work and it was a real thrill for us to be able to have this conversation with Cora especially as it is about her show What Girls Are Made Of coming to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe 2023. For those of you who saw the show first time round you will know how incredible this show is, how much it touches you if you have experience of loss in any way but also it is fun, it is raw, it is truthful, it is about our industry and the music industry and how the work and move and are all consuming and not and brilliant so so many things um and it is a really brilliant episode and i know that you're all thoroughly going to enjoy it all the details of what girls are made of are in the show notes of today's episode and make sure to get yourself a ticket and if you are at the festival i hope that you are taking care drinking lots of water um, try and get like some fruit at some point <laughs> um and i'm hoping that you are keeping warm because it was a wee bit of a chilly start to the festival but um it's supposed to get warmer so hold on in there people hold on in there Make sure you are subscribed so that you get notified of the next episode because they are going to be coming out really quickly over the next few weeks with all of the different guests that we're speaking to. You can support us and all the work that we do by becoming a persistent pal or a nasty hero. All the links and information for that are in the show notes of today's episode as well. And for those of you who already support us and are a persistent pal and nasty hero, thank you so much. You keep the Coffee Mornings going, which is an amazing space for people in our community to go and share and be supported you help the podcast keep going with a celebration of all these incredible humans and you allow louise and i to be able to do the advocacy work that we are always doing in the background we may not always shout about it but trust me it is happening and we will make change you can as I say, become a persistent pal or a nasty hero um, using the links below. And if you can't afford to do that because we realise times are tricky for all of us, you can always support us just by shouting about us and social media, spreading uh, the love. 
downloading and reviewing the podcast episode it really makes a huge difference and if you can you can always give us the price of a cup of coffee you can follow us on all social media twitter and i am still saying twitter at persistent nasty instagram at persistent and nasty facebook persistent and nasty send us an email to persistent and nasty at gmail.com check out our website at www.persistentandnasty.co.uk you can follow louise and i as well louise is at ms louise oliver on both twitter and instagram and i am at elaine stirrett on twitter and at elaine.stirrett on instagram and threads for today's episode oh cora's like proper rock and roll so get yourself a spicy margarita or a jack and coke or something that's got a bit of an edge to it i don't know does a jack and coke still have a bit of an edge i'm not sure probably not but i'm just kind of going with the nice darkness so yeah get yourself a bit of rock and roll or you know you can always just have a good old cup of tea because it's always rock and roll sit back relax and enjoy i hang about for five and then i'll jump in and like say my piece like i like to do and then i'll bolt brilliant brilliant well, Elaine, since we've only got you for a hot minute, shall we get you to do the sexy intro? And ask oh, her. the sexy intro, yes. Yeah, you do the sexy intro. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it. Um, Cora Bissett, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This feels like a really long time coming, this podcast. I'm so excited <laughs> and raging that I have to go early. Oh, I'm sorry. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, for everybody listening, Cora is joining us just after um finishing tech um for Cora's show at the festival. And obviously we're going to chat about that, Cora. But um before we get started, it would be amazing if we can give the listeners a little potted history of Cora Bissett, how you found yourself in this wonderful eclectic industry of ours. Oh my god, right. I'll try and keep it, I'll try and keep it brief. <laughs> I love long. So long is good. I love it. <laughs> um well, the show really charts quite a bit of that story, you know. I was I was uh, brought up in Glenrothes in Fife and when I was 17, 16 actually, um I joined this wee indie rock band. Um, and I, I desperate, I was totally into my rock music and really just desperately wanted to be in a band. I think after hearing Patti Smith's Horses album, um, I was just like, yeah, I want a bit of that. And um, got into this little band, little um, indie kind of alternative rock band. And lo and behold, it, you know, the unthinkable happens. Most times when you join a band, it, it doesn't really land you a deal, but... Four wee bumpkins from Glenrothes landed this big, big major record deal in the 90s. And seriously, within a few months, we were kind of whisked off to record the album and then taken down to London. And we were put out on tour with uh, Blur and Radiohead and all these big 90s bands. And, you know, we were just rolling along with it and just kind of thinking, cool, see what happens. And a lot does happen from that. And I guess I, I sort of start there because... Uh, yeah, I didn't start as a theatre person at all. I really started out in, in bands and in music, but probably as a result of my big rock and roll debacle, it kind of, um, you know, you're sort of ended up on the heap of has-beens at the age of 18 and a half. <laughs> you've kind of done it. There you go, love. You've had your chance, had your big break. Good on back and uh, quietly go and just get a real job now, would you? And um, I thought, what the hell do I do now? Where do I go from here? And I thought about going to drama college. Um, my mum and dad were delighted at that prospect. They were like, hallelujah, it's a real job. 
which is not the normal response people I know, say so that's pretty hysterical to go from like rock, rock star not a real job actor that's a real job <laughs> So like there's a logic in there somewhere. Um, but I wasn't sure about it at all. You know, I, I, I think I, I was sort of ruined in some ways because I've been touring about in the back of a sweaty transit van for a few years. So to go back into education, education and a, an institution, oh my God, I felt so like a fish out of water when I first started. I, I nearly left in the first couple of weeks because I just thought I I can't do this. I'm not I'm not made for for this I, I I don't know how to do this uh, you know um but I, you know I made some really good friends and I started to get into the groove a bit more and 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 uh, you know really really valued my time there in the end there was lots of parts of it that I didn't find useful but you know I focused on the bits that I did find useful um but even then when I came out like I feel like my whole my whole life in the arts has been some spectacular uh career sabotaging moves on my part I seem to endlessly do the wrong thing and everyone's going what the, what the fuck are you doing I'm like, I, 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 it's gonna work out it's gonna work out I've just I've just got a gut feeling this is the right but looking back like really what would be deemed really stupid moves not not your advised moves at all even even coming out of the record deal you know I was given a chance to to sort of go alone as a solo singer they they were trying to get rid of the band but they said we'd like to keep you on and we had a lot of debt to pay off so I thought okay I'll give it a go and they were trying to team me up with lots of different big songwriters at the time but none of them were floating my boat I was trying to ah, I was just at the start of stretching my my creative muscles you know and I went off and did this really really experimental demo that I thought was banging but clearly a major label record company were like what? Shit. <laughs> You're just clearly ahead of your time, mate. Ahead of your time. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that I want. There's so many things that I want to ask and say, and I have to go. And I'm actually oh. raging, like the rage I have right now. I'm so jealous that Louise gets to chat to you, and so I'm like, already, can I claim you at another time for podcast so I can ask Absolutely. further questions? <laughs> um, um, there's so many things there that I think. That, so many things. I just want to say just before I go but the one thing I think is brilliant that you're mentioning about that shift from music and into acting and then about the debt that you're left with because I bet you mm. loads of people don't realise that um, mm. but I'm going to go I love you both <laughs> have a great podcast oh it's a shame um, yeah we're both big fans so it's uh, Elaine's absolutely oh. got to catch the rest of the chat but so where are we? We're in drama school. We're in drama school. Come out of drama yeah. school. Where did we go from there? Well, I I remember thinking all through drama school. I I don't think I'm I don't think I'm cut out to be an actor's actor. I, I don't think that's what I am. But I don't really know what I am because you know it was a very different drama school at the time. It, was, it didn't have um, the more sort of devised courses that were around. That wasn't really a thing. But. I was very interested in devising work and more physical orientated work. And I'm, so I didn't do the end of year showcase. You know, you, you work for three years, you you try and, you know, hone your craft and then you put yourself out on display for the world in, 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 a, in an aim to get some work. And uh, I thought, no, I've got a real strategic move here. I'm going um, to skip that. And I'm going to do a wee show in the back of a transit van at the Arches to 10 people. And I'm going to carve some little puppet people out of carrots. <laughs> and I think it is cutting edge, cutting edge. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm starting to see why people were a bit like, okay, Kona. Okay. You do you, babe. It felt good to me. It felt right to me. And, um, you know, it took a good few years. I was working in a fruit and veg shop in Byers Road. I was, I had still had my, my new band, Swelling Meg. Um, and I was just trying to work. I, I was just, you know, I think because so young, I had been shoved into this, what seemed like a huge break, but actually was quite a confining uh, industry within itself. And I think I'd had such a big taste of that. And people had no of what I should be and what I should be wearing and how I should look and how I should be acting. Um, and every muscle in my body was kicking against anybody telling me what I what an industry requires of you. So I, yeah, I wasn't even kind of doing a big fingers up to anything. I was just going, nah, I've got to find out my way. I've got to find out what sort of creative animal I am and I'm going to do that by making my own little shows in the back of a transit van and working in a fruit and veg shop and doing doing my gigs and I'll work it out I'll work it out and um as it turned out I did start to get acting work and uh you know just just was a hard slogging actor and I'd really loved my years um with all the various Scottish theatre companies touring the Highlands and doing that whole that you know, that whole wonderful experience where you get to tour your own country and play village halls and, you know, you're a real ensemble building the show each night. And that was great. I really, really valued all those years and all that experience. And then I moved out to London for a bit and I was starting to just broaden my horizons a wee bit. Um, but I think after, I think it was about 13 years of just working as an actor, I the hunger was, I need to make my own thing again. I really just need to make and create my own babies and um so when the arches the dear arches was still there um and the arches award for new directors was a thing and you could just um apply with an idea and so I did I came I came to Andy with an idea and uh, got that bursary which was fabulous I think at the time it was six thousand pounds which seemed like an enormous amount of money um but that had to pay for your entire production you know that paid for Mm. everybody every bit of set every bit of music every single actor you know you just somehow made it work um but that really was a the big change for me I think at that point was going can I do this I'd I'd love to but what is it you know how do you be a director of all of a sudden? Well, I suppose 13 years of being an actor, you you pick up quite a lot along the way and you you work out what what you like from a director and you try and emulate those aspects and you try and not do the bits that you find really useless in other directors. Um and just tried just try to find my own voice with that. Um and my own style and I loved it. I discovered that I really loved it. Even every production meeting, I was like a geek for talking about talking about lights and you know <laughs> what percentage we're going to put those at and um loved it um and at the same time I was working with a brilliant company Anchor Productions um which was really trying to broaden diversity in the arts in Scotland at that point in time so I was their community outreach officer sounds like a very damn title I was I was running the kind of um theatre group there um but started to direct productions with those people as well some of whom are have flourished in the industry now so that's absolutely lovely to see um so I, yeah I think there was a two-pronged thing I think I was I, I was a wee bit restless I couldn't just be a jobbing actor it wasn't enough for me um But also, I think just my sort of political life and things that I really wanted to see change and happen, I knew that I wanted to bring those two things together. I really wanted to make work that I felt was 
saying things that I think were really important and that I wanted to talk about and learn about myself. Um, so that kind of launched me into the whole the whole directing sphere, really. Um, and from my work at Anchor Productions, we developed Roadkill, which you will know was a, was a, a site-specific production with Steph Smith and Adura Onishile, who's now a wonderful, incredible, amazing artist <laughs> uh, who's worked in Scotland, and uh, Mercy Ojaladi in the title role. And um, that kind of launched me. I think that that did very, very well at the Fringe I'll be back in 2010 and kind of launched us all I think in in our various ways um and yeah my my kind of direction work just really sort of started to open up and up and up from there it was through working on roadkill I was working very closely with the refugee council and they really loved the way in which people were responding to the issues of asylum and um, they were very keen that I worked with some other stories and that's what led to my uh, developing the story of the, the real life Glasgow girls. And yeah, kind of one thing kind of led to another, led to another and these partnerships that build up, you know, you're building on these friendships and these kind of trust relationships over years, really. Um, yeah, so fast forwards, I guess. I don't know how much detail you want on that big overall, but um, yeah, I guess for the past, I think it's been about 13 years now being directing works yeah. um, and I've, I've loved it and just loved the the journey and adventure of that um but yeah what girls are made of is the one the one little concession that I that I kind of come back to performing live again um and obviously it's a very personal story so it's uh, yeah it's a kind of special one for me yeah let's talk a bit about that because I'm conscious of only because I could I could talk to you about so many things I'm fascinated you've had such a a brilliant chameleonic career and I just love what you're saying about just following your instincts and that just that's just so amazing because I think and being you know for for those of us that want to do more and want to say more being an actor is never just because like that being an mm. actor is similar to what you touched on with the the music industry people want to box you into certain into certain categories I know you can only play this and you can only do this um and um, not that it, you know being an actor can't be brilliant and rewarding. It is of wonderful course, in so yeah. many ways, yeah. but yeah, it's like following those little instincts, those little gut feelings, mm. and just taking a risk and having the bravery to do that. You've yeah. you've done that your entire career, and it's just paid off again and again. And I would imagine even with Roadkill, that must have felt like a risk at the time because it was such a it was such an incredible piece. I, I remember seeing its first iteration, and I was like blown away. But everything about it felt like. I've never seen anything like this before. It was so I'm sure even then you must have had like, oh God, site specific, putting people on a bus. Oh my God. Like absolutely. And, and as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I I mean, I'd say with every single show I've done, I think you go through the there's a sort of weird cycle of this is this is this this is the idea that I'm re- that I am really excited about. Every every you know fiber in my body is buzzing about this idea, and I want to tell this story. And then I go into a, a, a phase of researching, and because a lot of my stories are uh, based on real life stories, you know, there, there's that period of really getting to know the real people and working out which form it's going to take, and then almost without uh, exception, there is a point I hit where I go. <gasps> a terrible idea why have I decided to stage this story because I can't serve it in this way but oh my god all all I'm seeing now is the litany of problems I don't just mean logistical but just ah I've not I've I've not thought of this and this and this and I always have a massive dark night of the soul for a few weeks 
that I don't tell anybody about because you've got everyone on board with you now. And you've got to like, you're like, I got you all here and I've got to keep believing in this. And then you go full circle and you go, no, I under, no, no, my gut was right. I know why I wanted to tell this story. But it's almost part of the process to go through that horrible, agonizing doubt phase to then believe in it again. I hate it. I don't know why the brain has to be like that, but every bloody time it does it. And that's, uh, yeah, it's really relatable. That thing of like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. No, I can't lead these people. This was a huge mistake yeah. and it's all on me. And yeah. like, I think it's very, and it's very, very common with women, particularly women in, in yeah. ship roles. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that's yeah. totally hear that every single time and with someone like you it's like to hear that you do that every does that still happen even now even though you've got so many yeah. amazing things under your belt it does it really does and it, weirdly I think there's almost you know the you talk of the arrogance of youth uh, you know <laughs> when you're young and I think when you're starting out on your first big projects that you're leading you're, you know, you've, you're, you're fueled by such a kind of, oh my God, I'm doing this. So wow, I can do anything. I, I, I'm, I'm going to change the world. Um, and that's great. And you need, you need that impetus to, to get up and do anything. You, you've kind of got to have a, a bit of that absolute self-belief. Um, for me, I don't know how, how much this, this is the case for other, other people in my position. Um, as you get older and a little bit wiser, um, you know, you start to see, you you appreciate everybody else's wisdom and you you appreciate that just everything is complex and you know no no of course of course no story is black and white that's that's what drama is all about but also I don't know you I think you analyze and reflect more I'm analyzing is there space for me to tell this story in the in the context I'm in in the context of the world what am what am I saying to an audience in Scotland, what am I saying potentially to an international audience? What what am I, you're thinking about the longevity of a show, you're thinking about, oh, who am I employing? You're, you're thinking of so many other aspects and responsibilities that come with being the instigator of a creative project. Um, and it, yeah, it can, it, can, it can tie you up in knots and, and you want to just keep following your instinct. But I also do feel an enormous responsibility to when you are someone in the position of giving other people work even though I'm not in a paid salaried role anywhere at all um I'm still someone who is potentially able to give other people work so I do feel an enormous responsibility with all the choices that I make within that I really do and um yeah so it, it so yes I am I am constantly in a mental torment with myself <laughs> talk to myself a lot my partner just glazes over just He's like, oh yeah, you're going through that that phase. Oh yeah, okay. Oh, right. she's, oh, she's, yeah, there she is. She's in that moment. I'll let her. She'll self-talk her way out of it. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's. I suppose it's both reassuring and not to know that the little gremlin voice never really uh, goes away, no matter how successful you get or how many um, projects you get under your belt. But I think it comes from a place of compassion as well, like this desire yeah. to be like this has to, this has to work on so many levels because it's not just about me; it's about everybody's creativity. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and you know particularly when you're being supported by public money I feel an enormous responsibility with that we know how few opportunities there are so if you are the one in the position of of being funded it really matters that you you do that job really well um and of course that's always going to be subjective some people might do think you're doing a great job and other people might think you're doing a shit job and you've you've again you've just got to roll with that and, and and trust your instinct at the end of the day I think it's just all you've got it's all you've got is that is that gut feeling 
Absolutely. And it sounds like it served you very, very well. And um, and all you can do is your best at the, at the end of the day. But yeah. let's talk about what girls are made of, because that's what we're here to yeah. chat about. It's very yeah. exciting when you going back to the festival this year. Yeah. As Ali mentioned, you are in tech right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk us through that. How did you arrive? Uh, so just like quick context for our listeners, you, you presented the show initially in 2018. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it had a fan- fantastic response. I saw it then. It was brilliant. Um, maybe you could um, give our listeners a little bit of a sense of how you arrived at wanting to make that particular show, because it's quite, auto- well, it's completely autobiographical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which I've never done. I, You know, I have always looked outward for stories. I'm always fascinated by the lives of others and in particular lives very different to myself um, and tried, you know, tried to bring an empathy to those stories that's always always kind of been my my mission um but i think it was it was when um my production of adam um about the young trans boy who was uh, um came to scotland um i was watching it perform in, in sterling i think it was the end of its tour and i was you know just loving adam's performance and and watching him and enjoying him being the, the incredible human he is and um i was just sitting there going gosh just as I exercise in my own head, I was like, what, what is my story? I've never kind of really thought about what, what my story is. I, I, I don't really have a story. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm, you know, just, you're, you're, you're just walking along, trying to survive. Don't really have a story tucked in there. So I have a story, um, no. <laughs> Casual rock star, award-winning director, like, yeah, no story here. You're like, yeah, our audiences don't want to hear that. Oh, I was in a rock band when I was 17. But then I started to think about it and, and I was like, God, that is the one story whenever I tell it in a pub or in, you know, social company. It's always the one that I, I people across the board go, you what? What? <laughs> Hold on, stop a minute. What happened? And it, it that, there's something in it that really connects with people, I think. Um, but also it was it was not just that. And, and as you all know, you've seen the show. It's not just, it's very much a, a kind of rock and roll show. It's, it's, it's got lots of great live music in it, all that. But it's also about many other things. And I had lost my dad um, prior to, to thinking about this show. And I was, I think I'd just fallen pregnant with, with my little girl. I very longed for pregnancy. And um, there was something about, I was cleaning out the house back back in my parents' house and I found my dad's little shoebox full of the, you know, the paper clippings, the little proud box of um, stuff when, when I was a teenager at home. And it just, it just dawned on me that he, he and my mum were about the age I was then when I was fleeing the nest and going off in to be this rock band. And, you know, when you're young, you think your parents are ancient. And I was like, oh my God, they were only in their early 40s and they were watching this teenage girl find this big deal they didn't have a clue what a record com- com- contract was about. No one did. And go off in the back of a van and just disappear into the ether. They must have been petrified. And I only appreciate that now as a mother. I, I only truly get what that must have taken to let me just go off and do my thing. Um, you know, I was, I was a really wee small town bumpkin. And, um, you know, I spoke to my mum about it and I was like, you know, I, I thanked her. I said, mum, that must have been really scary. Thank you for letting me do that. And she said, oh, God, like like we could stop you you know but we didn't want to lose you we we had we had to you know we had to to just support you and hope for the best so I think that it was a moment of just going asking what is my story and then realizing my story it's there it's that moment where you take off and your life really begins I feel feel like that 
I had all those brilliant childhood years, but at 17, it was like, boom, now we're off. Now, now we're, we've got lift off. And everything from that moment has informed every decision I've made in my life up until now, I would say. And mm. so I think on the cusp of becoming a new mum, I think I was thinking a lot about, okay, in that, in that space of time, in these past 30 years, what have I got? What have I got to give her? And you know, we use this this term strong women. What you know, what, what does that mean when we break it down? Because strong doesn't necessarily mean loud and belligerent and in your face. It can mean that. It can mean quietly wise. It can mean patient and you know, listening. It, strength is I, I kind of I'm really interested in that term. And I just thought if I want to give my girl resilience, what are the best bits of my life in the past 30 years what and actually it's all the low points it's all it's all the crash and burns that I need to I need to pass on because those are the bits where you grow from they're there where you reinvent if you just sail along and you know you just have wonderful accolades at every stage and you've never been absolutely slated to the core <laughs> and who are you yeah exactly <laughs> um so Yeah, it made me think about all that. Um, And it just felt like a right moment in time. It was, you know, on the cusp of motherhood, losing a parent, reflecting on life since you left the nest. And that all comes together in this show, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I greeted my way all the way through it and had a ball as well. Uh, It was like, (laughs) uh, it's a really beautiful show because I I think with the title and like, I think particularly in the current discourse around this notion of what a strong woman is and, and... uh, you know, in a very sort of the cultural zeitgeist opposed me to all of this sort of stuff. I think we, it's easy to fall into the trap of like that thinking that would be very by the numbers. Feminism, yay! And yeah, feminism is you know, it's I think it's a part of us all in, in terms of of being people who are compassionate and believe in equality. Yeah. But what it felt like to me, I was like, what well, girls are made of? What well, we're made of just the intricacy and complexity of human life, and yeah. and the, yeah. the beauty of the highs and the lows, and it's just like. Yeah. It's just, it's just a great, it's a, it's a gorgeous show. And um, yeah, it's, I loved it. I loved it a lot. Um, I'm interested to know how you felt coming, like, so you, you, you've been directing for a while. Mm. Well, like, like you said, you've been directing now for 13, 13 years. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Incredible. So was that, was what girls are made of, like, the first time in a while you'd come back to, like, kind of being at the centre of it, being the performer, being about yeah. you, story how did that feel mm. returning to that that oh, point of the story yeah. <laughs> very strange very strange um and I hadn't hankered after it you know quite like sometimes friends would say when I was directing um you know some other shows like Glasgow Girls and stuff you know they were saying oh do you not wish it was you up there and I was like <laughs> no really not I like really not have you seen the high kicks there <laughs> <laughs> seriously not um, like no no envy or or you know hankering for that I feel like no I did that in my 20s and 30s I'm, I'm good I'm loving this this other role on the other side and so to be back in that position it felt very vulnerable yeah I you know it was like shit I don't know if I can act anymore I don't know <laughs> I don't know if I can do this night after night you know just exercising that stamina muscle that's something I've not had to do in a long time um I don't know if I can take a note <laughs> maybe I'm so 
you know, you know, on the other side now. Oh God, I'm going to be one of those really fucking annoying actors that just can't. Is that for you, me? Oh, I. Oh, that's for me. Is it? All oh, right. Okay. 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 <laughs> How that turned out, I mean, Orla Lochlin that directed it was just so gorgeous and so intuitive and so incredibly um, eh, kind and sensitive with 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 the way that she was facilitating my story and and supporting me to tell that um, that it was great. It was just, it was lovely. What a what a liberation to not have to worry about the big picture actually and just go all I have to worry about is is me in this big picture because someone out there that I really trust is taking care of the big picture for me and when she was asking me to distill stuff and make cuts and edits um you know there's always a bit of to and fro but um she had that brilliant forensic eye of being able to go I know this part really really matters to you Cora but it ain't interesting we don't give a shit <laughs> she would never put it like that but uh, you know but sometimes yeah. <laughs> dull as shit get rid of that bit <laughs> so I, I think I think yeah sorry yeah. no no please carry on um, I think having I would never have wanted to direct it myself I think absolutely when something's not biographical for me I think to avoid the 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 horrible murky depths of um, uh, self-indulgence having that outside critical eye to go, this is the story, you're going off track, you're telling us things that are very important to you, but not important to this narrative that we have in our sites, um, was, it was, a, it was a perfect kind of balance uh, of, a, of a relationship. So I'm very, very grateful to Orla for that. Um, but yeah, it's a vulnerable place to be, for sure, for sure. And I found the funny little, you know, when you're in director mode, I think it's quite a maternal mode. Um, I certainly feel like you you have to be the, the bigger more robust person you know you're you're not allowed to be weak in that rehearsal room you're not allowed to be the one that's having a meltdown nobody wants to know you need to be mommy you need to be strong for everybody else and you need to take a few hits and you need to take people's fear and insecurities and they they sometimes come out as attacks not physical attacks but you know attacks on you and you just have to be that bigger mommy figure and go you're all you're frightened and I know I know where that's coming from you're frightened and I just need to understand that and I need to get you to a place where you're not frightened I need to make you feel secure in what you're doing but I find myself going backwards I find myself when I was you know in actor mode I I, I know I was feeling insecure about things because I didn't know if it was good or not and um oh god just remembering all those all those feelings that actors go through it was um it was strange to go back there and not not to feel like the mammy uh, that that was kind of the rock holding the thing together, um, but I think it was also good for me to to remember that, and I think it helps when I'm directing actors to go. Ah, I I know exactly what's going on there because I remember yeah. how that feel. You know, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. What an interesting thing. And what would you say um, is different about as the show going on a journey from when you first presented it in 2018 to what audiences will see this summer at the festival? Do you know, it's. Um, no, the, the text itself, we've remained very true. There was some discussion about changing it because I I lost my mum last year. And as you will know, my mum and dad both feature quite heavily in the story. Um, and in in the play, my, you, you learn of my dad's journey through dementia and the kind of bizarre, surreal, you know, blackly funny experience of your dad thinking that you're Dolly Parton. And, you know, that's... 
it's painful and hilarious and ludicrous all at once. Um, but when I wrote it, my mum was alive and I thought about rewriting aspects to encapsulate the loss of my mum. But I think once you've created a thing, it would just start to unpick lots of the very fine weaving that I've done structurally through the story. Um, and I think it's a different show. I think I think if I'm going to talk about my mum's my passing, that'll be a, a different story to tell. So no, um, after some deliberation, it pretty much is the same show. I've got a new dress. That's exciting. I've got some new dress, a new dog. Aye, aye, it's good. We've got some fancy lights, but that's about it. Um, no, it's very, very true to to anyone that saw it before. You will be getting, you know, it's like going back to one of your your favorite albums. You'll favorite albums. it will it will still be what it was. Amazing. Well, it's very. I think it's incredibly brave and amazing for you to, after the journey you've gone on over the last year, um, with everything that's happened, to come back to this particular piece and 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 give it to us again. So, I think it's going to be beautiful. And you're a very brave artist. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see it again. Um, oh, I'm conscious we've you. maybe only got you for maybe another 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, I was just wondering, um, one of the things that we like to ask um, our fringe artists during the series is just to give us a little idea of what they hope the audience will take away from the show. So how you want them mm-hmm. to feel, What, in terms of like a fringe audience coming to see what girls are made of this year, what is it you're hoping people will leave feeling and thinking and yeah. What do you yeah. want them to take away? Um, I suppose I can go over the, the the joy of this is that we've we've seen how audiences respond to it, so it is a bit more of a known than an unknown, which is lovely. Um, and and that goes around the world. You know, we've played it out in in the states and in uh, Brazil and in Melbourne, and it's it's fascinating how even in different languages, the same the same kind of emotional points and the same funny points land in the same way. I mean, yeah, it's it's very universal. I I'd say. It's it starts off as a proper rollicking, loud rock and roll gig ride. It's it's fun, you know. It's funny. It's very self-effacing. It's very irreverent. It's it, I think if you're kind of my age, if you're someone that's in their forties, you will totally re- recognise that era. You'll recognise all the musical references. You will recognise all the just the turns of phrase. If you're from Fife, you'll probably enjoy it even more because. I'm just speaking like someone Figlin Ross does and all those turns of phrase are in there. Um, as it as it evolves, it goes to some much more poignant places. And I think um, I, I could always hear in the audience, I could hear it when people were really, really connecting in a very visceral way. And I think I think issues of dementia, I think the journey that my, my dad goes on with dementia, I've, I've tried to handle it in a very very tender light touch way it's certainly it's not an issue play by any stretch of the imagination it's it's me sitting in the car eating a hamburger with my dad um because I can't take him to a pub anymore because he wanders off and you know pulls his pants down and outside and the you know it's those are the bizarre things that we're dealing with that people will recognize and um yeah I know that that hits home there's also moments of um as someone in their late late thirties, out in their forties, that that wasn't I wasn't um, I wasn't finding someone to have a family with, and I think that's something that a lot of people really connected with, or the the inability to have children for whatever reason. Um, I've tried to touch on that very delicately and sensitively, but from a place of experience, um, and so that I think there's. Yeah, there's 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 just very raw moments of honesty there that I I know 
people, but you'll connect with one of them. Um, but it's it's really, but I think overall, you kind of go on a great big journey and you come out on a bit of a high. I, I've seen it again and again. There's there's a feeling of we've all got our rocky roads. No, I don't think anybody's got a straight road and we've all got our pits and falls and we've all got the years where we're just wandering about in the freaking wilderness going, I've not got a scooby where I'm going here, man. I, I don't know what my, I don't know what the plan is. I really wish I could get a map. Um, and I think just sharing that, I, th- I think it's, I think it's hugely warm and I think people come out feeling a bit less alone and a bit more able to laugh at all the shit that we've got to all go through, you know? So it's a, it's a very honest, generous show, I think. And you come out wanting to give your base mate a hug or give your daughter a hug or give your son a hug or give whoever a hug. <laughs> Just go, we're getting through it, people. We're getting through it. Just let's keep digging in and find the joy where you find it. Yeah, can confirm that is the uh, response you will have. I went to see it with family. <laughs> And I came out and I was in bits and I was like, oh, yeah, hanging, hanging on to mommy in the chocolate oh, bar. Really? Did you watch it with your mum? Were you watching it with your mum? Really? Yeah. Oh, lovely. And do you know that I've seen that a lot. A lot of people come once and then they come back either with their daughter or with their mum. It seems to be a, a cross-generational show that people want to share with that person in their life, whether that's the person above them in the generation or, or below. Oh, so that's, yeah. that's lovely. I'm really glad you brought her. Yeah. She loved it. And we had a lovely time. Oh. Um, so can confirm that that all of those things you will feel when you go see oh. what girls are made of. Um, <laughs> but uh, just to sort of round off uh, our chat with you this afternoon, um, obviously we'll do the bit where you can tell everybody where they can see it, how they can see it, etc. We'll do the promo bit. But yep. uh, just veering off course ever so slightly, rather than talking about your work, now that you're back at the festival yet again, you're an old hat at the festival, I know that. Um, <laughs> What are your top tips for fringe artists, both coming to do it for the first time and yeah. if you've maybe done it a couple of times before and you think you're you think you know it, what are you what's your top advice for oh, man. Oh, see, I, see, it would change if I was at a different stage in my life because I've gone through the years where I am kind of, you know, hanging out either in the trav bar or the spiegel tent or summer hall till three in the morning every night because you just want to catch the buzz and see what's going on. And that's where you find out the top tips for shows and what's happening. So if you're in that stage of your life, do that. Absolutely. Um, you know, just being around, being around the venues, you're, you're catching word on the street of what's really happening rather than it always necessarily waiting for, you know, the official word. Um, at this stage of my life, I got to like preserve my voice. This is the, and you just can't, you just can't party till three in the morning and uh, still be able to perform the next day. So I've got lots of little, um, little tricks and steamers and blowing through straws and all these quirky little things that, that, you know, you find find on YouTube to make sure that you've got some vocal cords that work every day. Um, So I'm actually, I, I have quite a, very moderate routine now I really I really have to kind of watch myself to get through it um, so it depends where you're at and what you're wanting to do with that fringe if if you're not so worried about the vocal cords and you're you just want to have a riot of a time then you know find a venue that chimes with you and just hang out there and and yeah be be part of be part of that and be open to anything you know I think there's there's such an obsession with getting those stars and getting to see the five star show and um and and that's great and that those things you know if there's a huge consensus saying this show is amazing then of course you know that's 
<laughs> I, I can't lie that that brings in audiences and that's great but also you know try and take that risk as well if you're going to see stuff go and just go and go and see the wild card give someone a chance give give something a punt um even if no one else has told you it's the thing to see it's always just worth it's just good good rule good life for good rule for life just give give something a punt um yeah is that useful is that That's perfect yeah yeah I think um yeah I wholeheartedly agree I think maybe if you've got a 12 o'clock slot doing check-off don't stay in the Gilded Balloon till five in the morning basically yeah. maybe, right. maybe balance time it with yeah. your day off yeah um, exactly <laughs> okay Cora um final question and then we'll do the promo bit um we ask okay. our all of our guests on the podcast the same question um so the name persistent and nasty it comes from a particular moment in the culture um uh, elizabeth warren nevertheless she persisted and the nasty woman uh moment and trend uh so we could kind of combine those two words in a sort of reclamation tongue-in-cheek kind of thing um but we ask all of our guests when they hear those words in the context of coming to chat to us persistent and nasty what does persistent and nasty mean to you when you hear it oh wow that's a great question um yeah, I like the I like the kind of cheek of it. I like, I like I like that you've reclaimed those words. I think it means I mean persistent to me is I, I hear it in a positive tone. You know, persistent could be uh, oh god that annoying person that just won't give up. Yeah, well that annoying person that just won't give up is the one that gets shit done eventually. So persistent is what I've lived by. You just don't go away you just keep trying even when the things like oh my god I can't like how many projects have I had you know rock bands yay woo failed started another band mm, didn't kind of go anywhere oh start you know went to drama college and then came out carving carrots Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) so persistence I completely chime with uh, has been a, a hugely positive thing nasty uh I hear Janet Jackson Boy, which is a fabulous thing, but you know, why would you not want to hear Janice Jackson? Um, so I think it's uh, a kind of attitude and way of being in life. You can be nasty, not cruel, nasty, uh, cheeky, and yeah, chancing it. Just I'm not afraid to put something out there. And okay, if it if it fails, if I fry, I'll come back. Amazing. That's um, that's awesome, Cora. Thank you so much. And then finally, let's tell the people where they can see the show. How do they get tickets? Amazing. Um, it's on at the Assembly Rooms on George Street. Uh, 1 p.m. every day. I think there's just, if you check the website, there's there's two days off through through the whole time that I think, I, I think it's like a Monday, one week, a Tuesday, another week. Um, so 1 p.m. at the Music Hall in the Assembly Rooms on George Street every day. Um, on the 8th, you get two for one. Uh, so that makes it a little bit cheaper for folks. Um, other than that, I think, I think that's it, yeah. It lasts an hour and 20 straight through, no messing, rock and roll out. <laughs> amazing sounds great and a great time slot perfect um out in time for lunch and then refuel go see more stuff um Absolutely. obviously we'll include everything you've just said including the ticket link uh booking link etc all the rest of it in the show notes um Cora visit you have been a delight to talk to thank you so oh, much oh love you thank you so much for asking me on cheers um, we're probably going to chase you for another goal because we could talk to you forever about so many facets of your career and elaine will definitely have fomo she'll oh. feel 
don't feel she'll want another go. Uh, um, <laughs> so we may chase you again for another another one down the line. It was a delight, and thank you for your time. I know you're in the middle of week one. You're about to head into week one, so no big week. Really uh, nobody's at all. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, I'll let you go. And um, until mm-hmm. next time, lovely listeners, remember to stay nasty. Stay nasty.